Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The word of the Lord. It's hard to know what to expect with an introduction like that. <laughs> I don't know what to expect myself. <laughs> I'm always thrilled when I realize in the course of a worship service, in aspects completely out of my control, like what music we're playing and you know so forth, how the Holy Spirit is working. So I hope you hear in the words that the Holy Spirit has given me a lot of what Mary and Nikki and the musicians and Eric are saying because the Holy Spirit has a message for us today. It started in my mind when I was thinking about the pandemic. And I thought, you know, in many ways, praise the Lord, the pandemic is easing. Some people would even say ending. But regardless of what word you put to it, people have different reactions. You know, some people are just straining ahead to get back to normal. And other people are sort of glancing over their shoulders saying, what have we learned from all of this? You know, without denying for a minute the validity of wanting to just rest from all that we've been through, all the strain, all the anxiety, all the challenge of change in the last year plus, without denying the reality of wanting a rest from that, I submit to you with regard to the pandemic or any other momentous thing that we come to an end with, if we don't do something with what we've learned, it's all been for nothing. I know that's a shocking thing to say, but think about it. All the things we've learned, we've realized about our society, about the world, if we don't do something with that, what was it for? This morning we come to an end of the study of the arguably the most momentous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. As we consider Jesus' closing words, which we just heard, I believe Jesus is making the same point even stronger. I believe Jesus is saying being informed is not the same thing as being transformed. Being informed is not the same thing as being transformed. Data isn't doing. Or we might say it this way, real learning must lead to doing. 
The Sermon on the Mount begins at the beginning of chapter 5 in the Gospel of Matthew with a, a beautiful launch passage that we call the Beatitudes. It's a list, you remember the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, and Jesus does a, a sequence, it's really a poem, he does a sequence of situations in which people are experiencing difficulties, hard times, and then he makes a statement of promise, it's going to get better. Soothing words, beautiful, calming, hope-filled. But Jesus is doing something else with that launch, too. He is sketching the outlines of the promise of his great gospel. In other words, he's saying, storms are raging now, people, but change is going to come. The remainder of the sermon then, he teases out that idea from a lot of different angles, culminating in the increasingly stringent warnings that get piled up in chapter 7, of which our scripture this morning is the last. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Now, you don't have to live in Palestine to understand the landscape of this parable. It's about mountains and valleys. And I don't know where you're from. I'm from the mountains. You can hear me. <laughs> I'm from West Virginia. <laughs> we got the oldest mountains. <laughs> we do. <laughs> and the oldest river. And when, what I know is this, and I've never been to Palestine, but you can tell it in the parable, what happens is this. In the dry season, the riverbeds that are down at the bottom of the valleys are, in Palestine at least, sand. They're just parched and flat sand. But when the seasons change, and the rains come, and the winds whip up, water runs down those mountains and fills those riverbeds and the water that cascades through those riverbeds, in West Virginia, we call it a flash flood. I don't know what they call it in Palestine, but what it does is it just wipes out everything in the path. Just wipes it out. Houses and people and cars and everything there. And Jesus is talking about that. The rains have come, and the houses built on sand are gone, but the house built on rock is standing. Now, Jesus, in this parable, we need to understand, is not contrasting a good builder and a bad builder, a skilled builder and an unskilled builder. And he isn't contrasting someone who knows the lay of the land from someone who doesn't know the lay of the land. That's not where he's going with it. What Jesus is saying is that one person hears the words of wisdom from Jesus and trusts them, believes them, and builds his life, her life, her character, her house, on the words and wisdom of God. Whereas the other person builds on something else, some other foundation, some philosophy of self-reliance or some drive and ambition or some idea of normal that does not take eternity into consideration. Because you see, for the sand builder, all those words of Jesus... They didn't mean anything. They meant nothing. And the sad news is that before long, all his building is going to mean nothing too. 
But you and I, if we've learned anything from Jesus, don't have to stand here with the sand around our ankles. Jesus warns us. This is a warning, no doubt. But it's also an invitation. And that, I submit to you, is how we might want to consider it this morning. A warning and an invitation. Because Jesus is inviting us to put our learning into doing. To take the things that God gives us. Our time. For you, that would be time. Our time. <laughs> our resources. Our energies. And use them not in a life of the here and now. But in a life of the kingdom to come. When we build on the rock of the wisdom of Jesus, God has blessings in store. So it's not just to save our skins, it's also to be blessed. And the first blessing we want to talk about too today, two blessings of building on the rock. First, security in the storms. And secondly, change for good. Let's talk about security. When you build your life, your house, on the rock of the wisdom of Jesus Christ, God will keep you secure. God knows there are worries in this world. He knows how we, how we feel, what we encounter. And he wants us to understand that in the midst of those worries, he's going to keep us secure. Faux foundations, ambitions, agendas, self-obsessions, that's transitory. But the word of God in Jesus Christ is eternal. Building a life that stands now and forever means making choices in obedience to the will and the wisdom of God. But how does that relate to God keeping you secure? Well, you tell me. I can't believe in a room of this size with as many people as are in here that there haven't been lots of you who've experienced storms in life, haven't you? Love that turns into betrayal. Health that turns into illness and a sudden diagnosis and maybe death. And grieving. Education that isn't worth what you, what you paid for it. Bills you can't pay, and a pandemic that just cuts the ground right out from under you. You know those winds and waters. How do you stand in the midst of them? Because I believe one thing we want to learn from this is that that's part of why we're here in this together. You see, you and I have had experiences, many of us, in which we've been in a storm and God has kept us secure. So I'm going to encourage you. Don't be shy about talking about that. I'm not talking about putting the spotlight on yourself. And I'm not talking about blabbing about it all the time. I'm talking about when the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, Now, this is somebody that needs to hear what you've experienced. This is somebody that needs to hear how God has kept you secure. Well, here's my suggestion. Just say a few words, just a few words, and give God the glory. But let it be known, how has God kept you secure? You can do that. Maybe you've never done that, but I can tell you, you can do that. It might mean everything to the person you're talking to. 
But let's say you're a person in this room who has not, or, or online, who has not experienced that kind of life-shaking storm. You've never had your life totally upset, so shaken that you thought you were going to fall. Maybe that's never happened to you. I want to just give you three words of encouragement just in case. <laughs> I don't want to say because it's going to happen, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I just want to say three things. The blessing of security is three things. And I want you to listen to this because this is the word of God. The blessings of security is provision. You may know this scripture, but I encourage you to tattoo it onto your wrist or tattoo it on the inside of your brain because the Bible says, the Word of God says, God will provide all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Notice it doesn't say give you everything you want. There's a difference between bread and chocolate. But God will supply all your needs that's the word that's the English word that is true to the original language God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus you don't have to sweat you don't have to worry that all of a sudden you're going to lose your job you might lose it all of a sudden you're going to get diagnosed with illness you might get diagnosed with illness all of a sudden you're going to lose your house you might lose your house but do you hear what it says God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus and the second thing is God's going to protect you God's going to protect you God himself says I will never leave you or forsake you I'm going to tell you right now without the details there have been times in my life when that was all there was I mean all there was, was that I was not alone. And you might have been there. I see some of you shaking your heads, and you might get there. But God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Provision, protection, and probably the most precious is peace. Jesus says, no matter what's happening, do not be anxious, but let your request be made known to God in prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, in the middle of a dark night, when you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring and all you can think about is what yesterday laid on you, that's valuable. That's priceless the peace that passes understanding winds blow on waters rage on I've got provision I have protection I have peace but now I want to be clear I hinted to this earlier and I want to be very clear in saying this does not mean that nothing bad will ever happen to you we're not doing the prosperity gospel here this does not mean that you won't, you won't experience storms, because go back to the parable. The same builders heard the same message, and their houses experienced the same storms. Absolutely. Wind and waters. That's life. That's just life. Until you die, it doesn't matter who you are or where you build, you're going to experience storms, trials, tests, temptations, whatever you want to call it. But the important thing to understand is, just like a bedrock foundation 
does not shield a house from storms. It just supports them in the storm. That's true of obeying the word of God in Christ Jesus. Obedience to the words of Jesus does not shield us from troubles, but it keeps us secure in them. In them. So as we are assured of our salvation in Jesus Christ, we can live a life for the will of God in divine security. Now, I, I'm just going to say this. We could leave right now. <laughs> Praise the Lord, that's enough right there. <laughs> I mean, don't you agree? I mean, really, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about security. Woo! You know, as they used to say in the church I grew up in, glory. You know, that's, that's good. That's good stuff. But here's the good part. As if that weren't enough, Jesus invites us to a second blessing. You remember those words a minute ago? Change for good. Change for good. Obedience to Jesus' words doesn't shield us from troubles, but secures us in them. Which is wonderful. I mean, I, I love that. I, I'm, I'm luxuriating in that. But you know what I really want? What I really want is real, permanent change in the very existential architecture of life. You know, that's what I really want. We need the rock of Jesus for security, but we need the rock of Jesus for permanence too because it's the constant change and the uncertainty that is so anxiety-producing. What's happening next? What's going to happen next? Oh, God, what's going to happen next? We don't know. And most of us have virtually no control over it. It's extremely anxiety-producing. You know, if you watch any news or, or watch, pay attention to a news feed or, or listen to anything, it just seems like to me, now this is me, my impression is we're hearing more extreme violence and closer violence all the time. We're hearing more dire climate predictions and more catastrophic weather and, and climate events. We're hearing more and more about injustice and poverty and death. And I just can't get away from the thousands, probably millions of people who are wandering the face of the earth looking for a safe home. Just looking for a safe home. Even to stay superficially aware of all that is super concerning. It just tears you up. Because we long for a world where everything is the way it should be. Where everything's the way it's supposed to be. Eric talks about this all the time. We know the way things are supposed to be. And we want that. Where every person, every person is treasured just for being. And not for using. Where injustice and, and inequality and poverty and oppression and have and have not and every such ill, every such evil has been laid bare and made right once and for all. That's what we want. Where the wounds at the heart of creation that are festering and aching in disease and destruction would be cleansed and bound up and made whole. That's what they call shalom. 
if that kind of change is going to come, it's worth building for. But here's the second big question. What do the individual choices that you and I make have to do with that kind of permanent cosmic change? That's a, that's a huge question. It all sounds very good. Oh, you know, nice pipe dream. Wh what am I doing about it? I can't do a thing about it. Well, here comes the second blessing, the blessing of change for good. The blessing of change for good. Ever since the world was created and broken later by sin, we have been trying to get back to the garden, as they say, as they sing. Back to the garden. But we can't do it. No matter how we struggle and how we sacrifice, we cannot make things the way they should. That's up to the Almighty. Only God has the plan and the power to take all that is here and now and transform it into all that He designs and we desire. So sometimes, because we can't make that happen, we just settle for a whole lot less than we want. That's why some people read the Sermon on the Mount as if it were a set of instructions for how to salvage the status quo by being nicer people. You've heard those sermons. Just do this, do this, do this, life's going to be okay. Well, Jesus isn't all about that. Jesus didn't preach for three chapters to teach you and me the difference between wrong and right. We already know that. Jesus doesn't just say, well, just go on, keep on living your life, and, you know, come to church on Sunday and feel your spiritual pulse every once in a while and tweak your choices when guilt gets the better of you and rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. That's not what Jesus is saying. God has something bigger in mind. Something bigger in mind. And when we, Jesus came to earth, we got the word. What Jesus has in mind is that by doing the will of God in our little everyday paltry lives, you and I are participating in the grand design of what God is up to. Jesus wants us to understand that. What you and I do matters in bringing about God's eternal purpose for the universe. Think about that. What you wore today. <laughs> what you're going to do this afternoon. How you're going to spend your money this week. How you're going to spend your time. Who you're going to talk to. Who you're going to avoid. <laughs> All that has to do with bringing about God's eternal purpose for the universe. You see, putting Jesus' words into practice makes us activists in God's work of liberation and renewal for the world. Activists, don't you want to do something? Finally, as Eldridge Cleaver says, to be a part of the solution and not just simply a part of the problem. To be a part of the solution and not just a part of the particulate. Be a part of the solution. Building our lives on rock means making choices. Every day in many ways, great and small, to invest what God gives us, not in trivial, temporary things, but in things that are going to last God's kingdom to come. It means choosing to see, choosing to see the image of God in every single person. 
behaving toward everybody you meet the way you would behave toward God himself. Think about that. The next encounter you have. Behaving toward every person you meet as you would behave toward God himself. That's the heart of the golden rule. That's the whole point of the golden rule. Making choices toward eternity also means spending yourself and spending your stuff on things that God will smile on. And it means asking God to transform your attitudes, your behaviors, your desires, your go-to responses, your default settings. Ask God to change them. He can. He will. He has for me. I, I think he'll do it for you. Building is work. You don't build a house laying down taking a nap. It's hard work. Making choices. Praying these prayers. This is hard work, but it's also a privilege. And you know, paradoxically, it's an answer to prayer. Because when you and I pray, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, or your kingdom come, your will be done, and then we make choices toward those ends, we are answering our own prayers. We are doing his will. We are bringing his kingdom. We are bringing his kingdom out of what's here today and gone tomorrow toward the kingdom that will never pass away. So, be encouraged as you put your learning into doing. Because your provision, your protection, your peace, and your eternal purpose are secure in God the Father through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you're worried, I'm going to suggest that you check your foundation. Think about it. Socrates says, the unexamined life is not worth living. Think about what you're doing. Think about the choices you're making. Think about the decisions that you'll make tomorrow and for the future. Think. Submit to the Lord. Ask him to give you insight. Because Jesus didn't just tell us how to live. He chose the cross. Death on the cross. So that you and I would have the right to choose the life that endures. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof positive of the never-ending love of God the Father for us. So if you should realize that you've been building on sand, confess it. Admit it. Admit it to yourself, admit it to God, and then repent. Turn away from it and relocate so that you are building your life on the rock of the living word of God. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for you and me when we come to him. After the sermon was over, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. Well, they may have been amazed, but they weren't all convinced, and they definitely weren't all obedient because the very same people, some of whom, who had turned to each other in amazement at Jesus' words that day, not too long later, turned against him and shouted the word crucify when they began to realize what he was actually saying. So right now, at the end of this sermon, 
I think it would be good for you and me to hear the truth one more time. Because hearing the word and even being amazed by it means nothing unless the hearer becomes a doer. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty and ever-living God, forgive us for being hearers and not doers. Lord, we pray that in your mercy you would grant us another day, not only to be amazed by your word, but also to obey your will, to put love into practice, to live the glorious news that your Son saves and your Spirit sanctifies. And Lord, at the end, may we die in your mercy and rise to your kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.